0: This morning, I have the privilege of reading from Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning in verse 32. Uh, If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me, and the words will also be here on the screen behind me as well. They were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again he took the twelve aside and told them that what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word of the Lord. Well, we've been in a series of messages
1: uh, called the 3G series. And we've been talking about uh, grace, three messages on grace. We've been talking about gratitude, a couple messages on gratitude. And and we've moved into this third G called growth that will keep us uh, throughout the fall season and uh, right to the Advent season. The uh, elite team of Navy SEALs that killed Osama bin Laden on May the 1st, 2011, is still pretty largely shrouded in mystery. But in a recent article in the Wall Street Journal, Eric Hitchens, a former Navy SEAL, divulged the one quality that makes for a successful SEAL. The ability to think about other people and a higher purpose. And here's a, an excerpt from his article. The rigors that SEALs go through begin on the day they walk into the basic underwater demolition SEAL training in Coronado, California. Universally recognized as the hardest military training in the world. This underwater training lasts a grueling six months. The classes include large contingents of high school and college track and football stars, national champion swimmers, And top-ranked wrestlers and boxers. But only 10 to 20% of the men who begin usually manage to finish. What kind of man makes it through hell week? He writes, that's hard to say, but I do know generally who won't make it. There are a dozen types that fail. The weightlifting guys who think that the size of their biceps is an indication of their strength the preening leaders who don't want to get dirty, and the look-at-me former athletes who have already been told they're stars. In short, those who fail are the ones who focus on show. Some men who seem impossibly weak at the beginning of SEAL training, men who puke on runs and had trouble with pull-ups, made it. Some men who were skinny and short and whose teeth chattered, just looking at the ocean, also made it. Some men who were visibly afraid, sometimes to the point of shaking, made it too. Almost all the men who survived possessed one common quality. Even in great pain, faced with the test of their lives, they had the ability to step outside of their own pain. Put aside their fear and ask, how can I help the guy next to me? They also had a heart large enough to think about others, to dedicate themselves to a higher purpose. Jesus was walking with his disciples one day. He was going to Jerusalem. Actually, he was walking ahead of them. The distinction is important because Jesus is leading the way. He's on mission and he's on schedule and he knows what's ahead. The disciples were in awe of him and it appears that he has a contingent of people following behind the disciples. I hadn't noticed that before. He has a contingent of people following behind the disciples. The disciples are in awe. The the people following the disciples are overwhelmed with fear. Why are they fearful? They've heard Jesus say once or twice before that he was going to Jerusalem. They've heard him describe his mission. Not a glamorous mission, but a mission of suffering. And they were afraid of what was coming. It is on this journey that Jesus stops and pulls the 12 aside. The more I read the Gospels, the more I am struck with this burden that Jesus carries all through His ministry. It was the mission that weighed so heavily on His heart. Perhaps he needed to talk about it as a way of saying, "Guys, this is heavy. This is so heavy." You. You can't imagine what I go through with this. My mind constantly thinks of Jerusalem and the cross that is before me. Perhaps he needed to say it often because the twelve didn't process this stuff very swiftly. They didn't want to hear. They didn't want to believe. They didn't want to deal with that. Perhaps they didn't want to know. This was just such uncomfortable talk. It is in this context that James and John make one of their biggest ministry blunders. (laughs) We all make mistakes. Don't we wish, probably most of us, that we could reverse some of the things that we've done in our lifetime? And have a little wisdom in, in some of the decisions that we've made in the past? And friends, sometimes you just have to you just have to give yourself a little grace and say, we all make mistakes. We all wish we could change some things in the past, but time just marches on. I wonder if James and John didn't look back years later and shake their heads at themselves and say, how did we ever get into this situation? Into what? Well, in this walk to Jerusalem... After this announcement by Jesus that coming very quickly would be a betrayal. And he would be handed over to the religious teachers who would mock him and spit on him and flog him with a whip and kill him. My, is this insightful? Is this descriptive or what? He knows it all. He describes the end to a T. Jesus calls it. Jesus knows what is ahead, but he keeps going. Into that context, James and John embarrass themselves. Teacher, verse 35, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What's your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, you know, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and one on your left. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Just like little kids, they say, hey dad, hey dad, just say yes, just say yes. You don't have, you don't have to hear the question, just say yes. They asked for permission ahead of time. Talk about being presumptuous. They felt they deserved seats of honor. I'm, I'm so glad that none of us ever worry about things like that. We never worry about the corner office. We never worry about first in the food line. We never worry about having first a choice of something that's on the menu. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? There's a sadness in his voice. Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Anytime you see the word cup in the New Testament, it's always a picture of life, Or it's a picture of death. One of the two. Nevertheless, James and John say, oh yeah, we can do that. We can do that. We are with you. They are entering the role of a Navy SEAL in discipleship. But they have no idea of the high bar that has been set for them. Embarrassing moments in ministry. I'm sure James and John look back months later, years later perhaps, and said, where were our heads? Where were our hearts that we would ever think like that? And in later years, they would indeed have their share of the baptism, and they would have their share of the cup, and James would be the first of the disciples to be martyred, and John, as you know, would experience great persecution. They turned out to be great Navy SEALs for Christ. But they had at least one embarrassing stumble on the road, And we can probably all identify with that. This conversation must not have been all that private because verse 41 says that the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked. And they were happy. (laughs) No, no. They were indignant. Maybe they were indignant because they hadn't thought of asking the question themselves. Oh, James and John thought of that question. We didn't think of that. They got ahead of us. So the teacher, our Lord, finds a teachable moment. We have a congregation of young parents. Young parents are finding lots of teachable moments these days. As you care for your children. Don't they ask the best questions? (laughs) Don't they ask the toughest questions? Don't they ask the strangest questions? Like Gamma, do you love me the most? That was a recent question. Gamma, do you love me the most? Now there's a teachable moment. We have them all the time. Teachable moments. In fact, if you come to the scripture with that heart every day. If you come to the scripture with that heart every day and you say, Lord, I'm going to read your word today. I'm going to take some time to be in your word. And I just want to hear you today through your word. Would you teach me? Almost without exception, you will become aware as you read. Of some teachable moments that Jesus is going to share with you. You'll have a nugget that stands out. You can write it down. This is where God is impressing upon me today. Listen to this, verse 42. So Jesus called them together. He's getting them ready for a teachable moment. Huddle up, guys. This is seminary education back in the day of Jesus. This is theological education before it got formalized. Huddle up, guys. Let's take a break. Want to know something? You know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Do you think he winked at James and John? But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everybody else. And listen to this. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Can I speak to some of these embarrassing moments in life? When we kind of forget about this great lesson that Jesus is teaching us and we we get preoccupied. Here are some of the lessons that we're constantly facing. Number one, the unity of the body comes through serving others. The unity of the body comes through serving others. A good reason to super-serve somebody or some body, some body of Christ. Interesting article yesterday in the journal, if you happen to catch it, the interview with uh, Kavis Reed, coach of the Eskimos. This year has been a remarkable year, not just on the field, but it's been a remarkable year in the, in the locker room. Because these 44 guys have come together in ways that they haven't in the past seven years. They've come together and they've come to be friends with one another, and one of the tributes that Cabus Reed gives is the fact that they began to serve one another. We've gone back to the Eskimo way, as he describes it, and that is serving, serving in our community, serving others, thinking of others. James and John's embarrassing moments produced some consternation and indignation from their fellow disciples. I mean, what they did didn't do anything to cement a good working relationship. And these guys who'd been in the the locker room for over two years had walked together, traveled together, eaten together, played together, suddenly faced division because someone plays the... Who's the greatest card? Do you love me the most, Gamma? The decision of James and John to request permission to sit on Jesus' left and right is no different than making a decision to vote the rest of the disciples off the island. It's survivor at its best. You do what you have to do to get to the top. The toughest part of servant leadership is releasing the I, getting our ego out of the way. What a journey to deal with the egos that lurk inside of us. Where did I ever get that, that bent That the world should revolve around me and my needs and my preferences and my wants. Jesus said, you have no idea. You have no idea what you're asking. You're thinking about yourselves. But don't you realize that my mission runs right through the cross? The mission isn't about your comfort. Do you really want my mission? The unity of the body is absolutely precious. How do you find the unity? One of the very best ways is to serve the body. Put others first. Put preferences and egos aside and just serve the body. It's amazing what this does for momentum and for the blessing of God. And friends, you do it very well. You do it very well here and you see how God honors that. Never take that unity for granted. And I'm not scolding when I say that. I just, I'm just saying it's so precious. Never, ever take that unity for granted. It's an amazing gift. And it comes through serving one another. There are many ways to serve. And I know often we point to the serving of the brunch. But I, I know that this service not only provides food, but it provides unity as an underlying reality. It's a model of serving one another. I love the picture of Psalm 133, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. The unity of the body is greatly enhanced through serving one another It's amazing what happens when we serve one another. There's a a sense of unity. Secondly, lesson two is the lesson of team. The lesson of team. Serving produces a team. Jesus said, But among you, it will be different. No lording it over, no flaunting authority. Among you, it will be different. How so? You will be a leader by serving. In his book, None of These Diseases, S.I. McMillan tells about a young woman who went to college, or at least who wanted to go to college, but her heart sank when she read the question on the application that asked, Are you a leader? Being both honest and conscientious, she wrote, No. And she returned the application expecting the worst. To her surprise, she received this letter from the college Dear applicant, a study of the application forms revealed that this year, our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We're accepting you because we feel it's imperative that they have at least one follower. (laughs) We need leaders. No question about it. However, we need leaders who are able to follow We need leaders who are able to be team players. If you're not able to follow, you're not willing to lead. One man said, if I don't work in the area of leadership, I'm squandering my talent. Maybe so. But in the area he wants to work, they don't need leaders at the moment. But they need workers. And unfortunately, he's not interested. Have you ever been part of a sports team that had lots of good players? But it was hard to get on the roster because they were all so good. I heard of one fellow that decided to quit after the first game. His dad said, if he can't start, he doesn't want to play. Actually, that's the attitude that prevented him from being a starter. There's something about an attitude there. There's something about being a team player that is so important. When Henry Nouwen, the Roman Catholic scholar, went to serve the Learch community in Toronto, a community that is filled with men and women who have uh, developmental disabilities, many people said of Henry Nouwen, because he's such a profound teacher and scholar, oh, does he really want to do that? He's such a gifted man. Is he not wasting his time? But Henry Nouwen didn't think so. He was training his heart to serve and to think of others and to be in unison with God and in serving the body. He was adjusting his heart so that he could be a better player in God's kingdom. Serving produces a team. We serve wherever God has called us to serve. And in so doing, we learn the joy of team well lesson number three is the lesson of getting your hands dirty I was reading last night in the leadership magazine I came across this little clipping by uh, John Stott and it, it's captioned John Stott washes muddy shoes Latin American theologian Rene Padella remembers vividly one of his early encounters with John Stott as you know John Stott passed away about six months ago On the previous night, we had arrived in a town in Argentina in the middle of heavy rain. The street was muddy, and as a result, by the time we got to the room that had been assigned to us, our shoes were covered with mud. In the morning as I woke up, I heard the sound of a brush. John was busy brushing my shoes. John, I exclaimed full of surprise, what are you doing? My dear René, he responded, Jesus taught us to wash each other's feet You do not need me to wash your feet, but I can brush your shoes. I can brush your shoes. It's the lesson of John Stott. It's the lesson of Mother Teresa. It's the lesson of Albert Schweitzer. Albert Schweitzer is a good example of a person who got his hands dirty. By the time he was 21, Schweitzer had decided on the course for his life. For nine years, he would dedicate himself to the study of science, music, and theology. Then he would devote the rest of his life to serving humanity directly. Before he was 30, he was a respected writer on theology, he was an accomplished organist, and he was an authority on the life and work of uh, Johann Sebastian Bach. In 1904 Schweitzer was inspired to become a medical missionary after reading an evangelical paper regarding the needs of medical missions. So he went to school. He studied medicine from 1905 to 1913 at the University of Strasbourg. He also raised enough money to establish a hospital in French Equatorial Africa. He founded a hospital there in 1913 And over the years, he built and enlarged this hospital. He gave $33,000 of his Nobel Peace Prize to expand that hospital and to build a leper colony. In 1955, Queen Elizabeth II awarded Schweitzer the Order of Merit, Britain's highest civilian honor. But this man, this man was hands-on, often serving in obscurity and facing huge challenges. He said, example is not the best way of teaching. It is the only way. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. Sometimes, friends, if you have a high-profile position in leadership, you have to do some things that aren't high-profile. We have some people here at TCC, I've just learned, that are interested in starting a muscle ministry. I asked, well... What is a muscle ministry? The answer is, well, it's not as muscle-oriented as you might think, but it's a ministry of helping others by using some of our strength. Somebody needs help moving from one house to another and packing the boxes and moving them along, and, and, and somebody needs some help with the lawn or somebody needs some help with snow and... Somebody needs help with the backyard. And it's, it's being willing to say, well, if you never need somebody there, just call me. I could help you. So a muscle ministry would be a way to serve. We'll let you know if there's any muscle in the muscle ministry, uh, if it takes hold. But thanks to those who are at least thinking about it. It's about those serving in a low profile kind of way behind the scenes. It's true that some ministries are prone to have a higher chance of recognition. Oh, they're always up front. But sometimes it's important also to grab the broom, to grab a table, to help get it all set up, to work in the nursery, to do some lawn maintenance, to shovel some snow, all good stuff, getting our hands dirty to help keep our hearts ready and servant-like. I encourage you, To find an area of ministry that offers no glamour, that offers no prestige, especially if you're usually in a higher profile area. An area where you can serve in obscurity. Uh, An area that might be a little more demanding physically, that may get your hands a little dirty, where we can serve in practical ways. It's just one of the ways we can be a servant to others. We might call it the ministry of the mundane. You know? Jesus took a child in his arms and he elevated the importance of caring for children. He said, don't ever stop children from coming to me for to such belongs the kingdom of God. You know, we have a lot of children here at TCC. That's our demographic and we're thrilled about that. That's why we can use a preschool director because there'll be a lineup of parents from our church and from our community come next September. Who want to have the ministry to their three and four year olds. And and that will be the storyline of families. Because we serve the children. And who knows what God's going to do in the community. Because we serve the community. Many homes will be impacted for Jesus Christ. The ministry of the mundane. Oh and it's all around us. Somebody needs some help with a project. A mom or dad gets up a thousand times in the night because a little one is crying. And mom or dad gets up, maybe a little grumpy at 3 o'clock in the morning. But you walk into that room and you see that this is your little girl, this is your little boy, and your heart melts. And you say, of course I'm here for you. I know it's always easier to hear about serving than to actually do it. I heard of a woman... Who when she was facing an important surgery Asked her husband if he might look after the children over the weekend He said no He was going to attend a large rally for men that would teach them How to live as Christian husbands (laughs) He wanted to go to a conference where he would be inspired And taught to serve his wife Serving All kinds of ways to be a servant You run across them every day. Are you a person that gets interrupted a lot? Oh, you've got your schedule. You've got things to do. But somebody wants something. The phone rings. The emails keep zooming in. The children say, could you help me? It's called the ministry of being interrupted. The ministry of being interrupted. You just need a fancy label to realize how important that ministry is. And what it does in your heart to create a servant like leader. And then there's the ministry of holding your tongue. My wife, who teaches grade one, has a great line that she pulls out every once in a while when the grade oneers are talking too much. She says to them, You don't have to say everything you think. I like that. You don't have to say everything you think. And that's a great line for me, too. I would be wise to listen more and talk less. It's called in more sophisticated terms, holding your tongue. The ministry of holding your tongue. Some people like to impress with their vast array of knowledge. And they manage to turn every conversation back to themselves. Oh, that reminds me of... And off they go. The ministry of holding your tongue is always a challenge. There's a time to speak and a time to be silent the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes says. The silence can be a victory for the kingdom at times and allows us to be servant leaders who don't always need to have the limelight. And then finally, being a servant is effective for accomplishing the mission. Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. How absolutely incredible that Jesus decided that the best way to accomplish the mission, his amazing mission, was to become a servant. I mean, think of all the ways that Jesus had to accomplish his mission, and he decided that he would do it through being a servant. Read Philippians chapter 2, where it says he became one of us. Of all the options, the best option Was to become a servant. And that just hits me. That speaks volume with respect to the mission that he's given to us. It speaks to the mission of TCC in our community. How can we best serve our community? How can we best impact our community? Learn to serve. Learn to give. Learn to be part of the community. Use this new building that's under construction simply as a tool to reach our community serve the community in the love of Christ and God will pour out his his love to our community in ways that will be beyond our comprehension and the exciting thing about being a servant is that you can do it anywhere you pray you spend time with the father you listen And as we listen and pray and release our ego, we will see the needs. They're all around us. We're part of the grand story that God is writing. Let's stay the course. Where do you see a a need? What's stirring inside of you? What makes you weep these days? What burns within you? What makes you say why doesn't somebody do something about this? Plug in there and make a difference and ask God what could I do about this?